This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Friday, March 31st. The weather forecast for today looks like we're going to have cloudy skies with some periods of rain, maybe a little bit of wet snow, the high 7 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a candlelight vigil is held for a murdered 16-year-old. Number two, the TTC will get $15 million for added security. Number three, the probe into that maritime shooting spree exposes RCMP weakness. Number four, Donald Trump indicted. And number five, Gwyneth Paltrow is set free by a jury. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.08 on a Friday morning, the it's last sweet, day. Sweet Thank you. Thank you very much. I hadn't even officially declared it, but uh, that's fine. Nick Marano, I'm... I just can't wait for Friday to come. This has been a week. This this has been a week, has it not? And uh, I'm excited about the weekend. I was just uh, talking with Donnie, Jerry's producer, while I was getting another coffee, which is probably a bad idea because it's going to wreck my voice. But, you know, I'd like to wake up. And uh, he said, as people always do on a Friday, any plans this weekend? And lately, my plan is no plan. I I think we've got some virtual golf. On Sunday, but that's about it. And uh, that's how I like it these days. The older I get, the less, <laughs> the fewer plans I need to make. So, uh, lots of things to talk about this morning. We're certainly going to be bringing some perspective to uh, Donald Trump's indictment. I'm always pleased that um, uh, we can be joined by uh, George W. Bush's former speechwriter, David Frum because I find him to be an extraordinarily acute analyst, if I can say that. Analyst? Yes. Um, but yeah, I dropped him an email yesterday. I said, do you want to join us tomorrow? He said, sure. And then we said, can you do it at 6.05? He said, yes. So um, David Frum is going to be with us, also going to be talking with uh, one of our favorite political analysts, who is a uh, professor in the United States, Professor Schultz. And... Uh, Uh, Mr. Decker, the NBC Radio News correspondent, who also happens to be a lawyer. So that's kind of going to inform the conversation as well. But uh, yeah, Donald Trump being indicted. And of the five investigations, criminal and civil, into Donald Trump, this is probably the least interesting and the least firm. But it's all about the fact. And it's kind of like... Al Capone. You know, they never busted Al Capone for being a mobster. They busted him for tax fraud. And in this case, Donald Trump is being busted for arranging to pay off the porn star that he slept with and then writing it off as an election expense. And so, yeah, it's going to be a technicality. I have a few. Here's one of the problems when it comes to going after Donald Trump. If he opts for a jury trial, it's pretty well impossible that you can find a jury where at least one person is not a Donald Trump fanatic, in which case you cannot end up with the verdict. You cannot, you know, that person is going to undo things. But still, 
I think this is actually, and I'm not going to dwell on this forever. I, I always have people say, oh, he lives in your head. No, I'm preoccupied with Donald Trump because he is a lifetime grifter and a crook, uh, an incredibly defective person. And he was the president and he wants to be the president. So that's not living in my head. That's talking about current events. That's talking about the leading Republican contender for the presidency at a time where the Democratic incumbent has been on a pretty good run, but he's like 100 years old. So we'll see where this goes. But um, to, I think this is sort of part of the drip, drip, drip when it comes to Donald Trump that makes him unelectable. He's already almost unelectable. I mean, if you consider that he twice now in two election cycles, he has failed to actually best the other candidate in terms of the number of votes. He uh, has he lost the House. He lost uh, and, and he failed to cement Congress or, or Senate in the last election. And. It's just, I mean, actually, the amazing thing is, I know Trump fanatics think that because they're so dedicated to him that he is really absolutely the savior. But Donald Trump actually politically has an incredible losing record. So this, I think, is, and, and it's going to be one of those things like when they threw the bucket of water on the Wicked Witch of the West and all of a sudden the monkey said, we're free. I think that's what it's going to be like for Republicans that, you know, as Trump becomes provably unelectable, they're going to walk away from him. So I will leave it to the analysts to uh, weigh in on this as the morning continues, because like I said, I know if you like Trump, then here we are at 513 in the morning and you're already mad because John Moore said some mean things about your favorite guy. Uh, City Council, Toronto City Council, approving $15 million from reserve funds for the TTC to extend safety measures. measures. Now, um, I don't know necessarily that this amounts to those 80 police officers being redeployed, but certainly they're going to be sending um, you know, more police onto the TTC and they're going to be deploying social workers and various other people to try to get on top of this situation. All of this in the shadow of a candlelight vigil that was held last night for the 16-year-old boy who was murdered at the Keel Street Station. I can barely read accounts of that, and in particular in the Toronto Star today, there is an account of a woman who was at Keel Station at the time that he was stabbed, and she rushed to his side and she held his hand, and she said she just wanted his mother to know that somebody was there with him. But I just, you know, I can't rip myself away from reflecting on what it had to be like for this boy to be sitting there. And apparently he was on his way out to the Eaton Center to meet up with friends. Typical 16-year-old thing to be doing on a Saturday night. And out of nowhere, somebody runs up and plunges a knife into you. And you must think, okay, now what's happening? What, you know, am I dying? And he was. And uh, apparently nurses were in the station as well, and they applied compression, and they tried to stop the bleeding. But I would imagine he was probably dead at the subway station. Uh, they say he was rushed to the hospital where he died, but he probably uh, was already gone. 
And this is just one of those things in our city that is beyond unacceptable. And while I hope whoever's running for mayor, all of these people are going to try to figure out a way to fix this wagon. Um, it kills me that we got to get to the 26th of June before we even have another mayor. All right. Happy Friday to Newstalk 1010's John Moore. John, uh, we made it to the end of the week. It felt like a long one. Uh, let's start with this uh, pretty sad news, but a candlelight walk was held in the west end of the city last night to honor 16-year-old Gabrielle Magalis, uh, who was stabbed to death on the TTC over the past weekend. And it was about 500 people, you're absolutely right, including his mother. And there was another woman in the crowd and very beautiful and sad uh, description mm. in the Toronto Star today of a woman who was actually in the subway station when Gabrielle was stabbed and held his hand. And she said she just wanted to be there last night so she could tell his mother that he wasn't alone at the time that oh. he died. Wow. Uh, such a tragedy. Okay, and moving on to this uh, in connection to safety on the TTC, City Council has authorized $15 million for the TTC to increase its emergency and security measures, and this is going to come out of a reserve fund. You're absolutely right. It's coming out of a reserve fund, but somebody's going to have to pay the bill eventually. $15 million. We don't know necessarily that this is going to relaunch that police campaign where we deployed 80 off-duty police officers to the TTC, but uh, that was costing $1.5 million a month. But I think most people realized this month that it was probably premature to call off that operation, and certainly when we consider the violence that we've seen and that murder of the 16-year-old, people want some urgent action. Yeah, Absolutely. And turning to what's happening in Quebec, police there say six bodies have been found near the Aquasosni, uh, I guess, area east of Cornwall. This is a uh, Quebec reserve, the Aquasasne Reserve, and we know almost nothing about this except there were, as you mentioned, six bodies, including, we're told, a child. And this is one of those stories where, okay, need to know more. Mm -hmm. And as the hours and days continue, I guess we'll learn more about this. But, uh, you know, six people dead in one situation is definitely somewhat of a calamity. And turning to some news uh, stateside now, John, uh, this is a history-making moment. Former U.S. President Donald Trump, he has been indicted by a Manhattan grand jury. Isn't it amazing there are five civil and criminal cases being gathered around Donald Trump? This is probably the weakest and least interesting. Mm. However, Donald Trump next week will have to surrender in New York. He'll be fingerprinted, he'll get a mugshot, and all of this is about the fact that he arranged through his lawyer to pay off Stormy Daniels, an adult film star, uh, for a tryst that they had and to keep her out of the media. And then that was written off as an election expense. So it's a bit of an Al Capone situation mm -hmm. where Al Capone was never booked as a gangster. He was booked only because he had evaded his taxes. Um, I have no idea where this is going to go, but this is big political theater. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very fitting comparison there. Okay, uh, turning to this, John, our last uh, topic for this morning. I was actually listening to a story about how cemeteries and spots for your loved ones, grave sites are actually more expensive now. So the question is, is it legal to scatter your loved, one, your loved one's ashes in Toronto? 
Apparently it is. Uh, Joshua Chong writing an interesting Mm. feature in the Toronto Star today about whether or not it is legal to dispose of ashes. It's interesting because there have been some cases where, for example, um, I think it's Hindus who uh, will place their loved one's ashes into rivers. Mm -hmm. And there are actually now some certain rules that apply to Toronto's many rivers. But scattering funeral ashes on city land or in Lake Ontario is actually legal. No city permission is required. And the same goes for provincial land. Uh, You probably know, Jennifer, that at Disney World, they've had to apply some uh, fairly hard rules because a lot of people were pouring human remains or cremains into uh, the log ride, for example, which ultimately was starting to actually interfere with the log ride. Um, So the disposal of remains uh, remains uh, a somewhat daunting issue. Wow. I had no idea about that Disneyland log ride, uh, but it kind of makes it a a whole different ride if they're dealing with that kind of stuff. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, maybe a horror ride. I don't know. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Always fascinating to chat with you. Have a great weekend and we'll speak with you on Monday. Take care. Jennifer Sheng over at CP24, our sister television station. And... The appearance of that article about whether or not you can scra- you can spread ashes in Toronto is entirely coincidental with the fact that at 6.50 this morning, Maureen Holloway is going to join us. And she wrote a blog this week about her father's ashes and her mother's ashes. And she and I will be able to have an interesting discussion about that because I've talked about my father and my mom. And I will never forget, somebody thought that this was horribly disrespectful. I just thought it was kind of fun. Um, I, we cremated my mom and we, she had asked that she be buried at Prospect Park in a plot that is owned by her family. So I brought her cremains back to Toronto. But then I said one day on the radio that I was kind of creeped out by having an urn in, in the, the room downstairs and a, um, I'm trying to remember what the term is that we use these days. We don't say undertaker anymore. Um, but a, a somebody who worked at uh, Morley Bedford, which is up on Eglinton, called me and said, listen, just, you know, bring your mom here and uh, we'll keep her until you can arrange for burial. And so we did that. But the day that I picked up the urn, I put it in the passenger seat of the Miata that I had at the time and the roof was down, and I took a picture. I said, taking mom for a ride. And people said, that is so horrible. It's often it's disrespectful. Um, but I actually think mom would have probably gotten a kick out of it. And it's, it's, it's forever fascinating, all of these death traditions, because the dead don't care. That is what um, the famous undertaker from, oh, I have got to go look him up now, but Lynch is his name. He's uh, he's a poet and he's written incredible essays that I absolutely adore. And he and I have actually talked on the phone. And he always comes back to that one phrase, the dead don't care, but we do. You know, yesterday I was telling you the story about how they found the remains and it was probably like a tooth of a World War II soldier who was killed in a plane crash. And yet it matters, you know? Now, whatever was left of him 80 years later is being buried in a military cemetery next to his comrades who have been lying there for 80 years. But stuff like that, in the end, does matter. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Happy Friday, happy end of March. One degree 
right now. Looking forward to a lot of the conversations we're going to have on the show this morning. I always enjoy chatting with um, David Frum, and he's going to join us to talk about Donald Trump being indicted. Also, in the next hour, we've been talking about AI almost nonstop. I'm sure AI has been preoccupied by that uh, for the last couple of months, but mostly because a few you know, new aspects of AI have been introduced quite recently. And what, in particular, the, what is it, chat, GPT, is it called? Um, what it has been able to accomplish is astonishing and somewhat frightening, to the point where a whole bunch of tech people, we were talking about this on the show yesterday, issued a letter saying that they want research on artificial intelligence to be paused for six months so we can figure it out. I mean, it's inevitable, isn't it? And honestly, I really think that we are probably one day. I don't think we're going to face Skynet, you know, dropping bombs on us and creating a post-apocalyptic world. But the world is going to change and AI is going to run a whole bunch of things that we currently run. Um, but one of the things we're going to talk about on the show this morning, we're going to have a guest a little less than an hour from now to talk about how he tried artificial intelligence on Wordle. And I'll let him tell you how it worked out. But uh, Wordle has been a major preoccupation amongst some people, including my partner and his sister. And, um, you know, people get up every single day and do Wordle. And then they post. Actually, I see that less and less. I guess people have gotten tired of posting their Wordle success or failure uh, online. Um, but how did Wordle, how did AI do on Wordle? You'll find out when we talk to our guest at 635. Uh, it was very funny. I just got an email from a friend of mine because I still do radio in, in another city. And I had sent her all of the topics I wanted to talk about today. And she said, I got to bring this up because uh, what about Gwynnesant? I had forgotten the verdict in the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. But Gwyneth Paltrow has been found not to blame uh, jury awarded Gwyneth Paltrow one dollar because that's all she was suing for, plus her legal expenses. Although I don't know that that's actually in the settlement here. But to wind this all back, just in case you haven't been following along with the red bouncing ball, there is a guy in his seventies who's a retired optometrist who says Gwyneth Paltrow skied into him and caused him permanent injury. The usual issues of bloating, irritability, sleeplessness, sexual dysfunction, all that stuff. And he was suing her. She says he skied into her. He says she skied into him. The video, tellingly, that might have accounted for all of this, that he apparently he was wearing a GoPro camera, disappeared. And ultimately, this is, it's been deemed the whitest trial ever because it's just been about, you know, uh, how how you lost a half a day of skiing and oh the humanity in all of that and he has deterred you from enjoying the rest of what was a very expensive vacation well I lost half a day of skiing uh -huh. <laughs> I'm sorry I like that in the article I'm looking at Gwyneth Paltrow is described as a celebrity wellness entrepreneur because you, you know that she has a candle. I can't even describe what the candle smells like. And I don't know why anybody would make that candle in the first place. But it would be of the feminine nether regions. And, I, you know, who would take that candle out and light it up at a dinner party and say, hey, everybody. 
But uh, anyway, you, uh, that's everything you need to know about that. Gwyneth has been not acquitted. One of the interesting things in the United States is that in a civil trial, you can have a jury. And that's actually kind of a big deal. Like Donald Trump is going to opt for a jury in New York City because the likelihood that 12 people will convict him is close to nil. So in a civil trial, you can pander to the jury rather than to the law. And quite frequently that'll happen. I mean, you'll have something like you can't actually prove that breast implants caused cancer, but you can put the daughter of a woman who died of breast cancer on the stand to talk about how sad she is about all of that. And then the jury says, okay, I don't care if the science is there. So this is one of those stories where I, I just sort of want to put it on the radar for you because we know close to nothing about it, but this is going to be big, I think. The Akwesasne Mohawk Police Service say they're investigating. They found six bodies late yesterday afternoon in the St. Lawrence River in a marshy area near the Akwesasne Reserve. And there is no, no clue yet as to who they are, how they died, what the circumstances are. But if you've got six people who have died, then something fairly major has happened. Now, it may turn out that it's, you know, it was migrants and they were in a boat and it overturned. We don't know. So we'll continue to follow that for you. Heard from somebody via text who insisted that uh, when I said there were about 500 people in attendance last night in a candlelight vigil for Gabrielle Magliese, who was murdered at the age of 16 at the Keel Street Station, I said there were about 500 people. That's what is identified in the Toronto Star this morning. Um, but this person says, no way, it was thousands. Um, Okay, um, I'll, I'll go with what you have to say. We'll just say an awful lot of people turned out to lend support to uh, remember him. And uh, let's listen to this report. Walking into Keel Station, Andrea Magalise, along with her husband, Antonio, was heading to where her son was killed. Breaking down with unimaginable grief before walking to the bench, where son Gabriel spent his last minutes. And she said, why did I come here? Tonight, thousands came here, making the walk from High Park, carrying candles to remember 16-year-old Gabriel Magalies, who was stabbed to death on Saturday. And he was important to many people. Um, and he's not just like, a, like, a, like an article title, you know? He's a... He's a he was a person who's had his own feelings since such. An overwhelming crowd lining up before dark for a vigil organized by Gabriel's friends from his time at Keel Street Public School. It's kind of shocking. We weren't really expecting that many people to show up. We thought it was just going to be like um, the community from middle school because those are the people that organized it. A death that sent shockwaves through a community with those who knew him saying, I don't feel safe anymore around others as well, like knowing this. And I just feel like genuinely shocked. I don't know how to react. Melissa Blow works with Gabriel's mother. Blow organized a GoFundMe page to help with funeral costs. It's not supposed to be like this. Like, he's a 16-year-old kid just trying to go out and spend time with his friends on a Saturday night instead of going snowboarding with his mother that night. Together, they're NICU nurses at Mount Sinai, trying, as so many here did, to support a family, trying to help a friend. 
I can't imagine what she's going through. I don't want to. But we see it at work. In the work we do, we see parents lose their children every day. So she's usually on the other side of it, supporting them. And so now she needs all of us to rally around her. Here, the tears, like the flowers, the candles, and the grief are overflowing. That's Sean Leethong. And uh, I mean, this whole thing just breaks your heart. It's so senseless, purposelessness, or purposeless. And I can tell you from experience that something like this just haunts a house and a family for the rest of their years. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Uh, David Frum is going to be here at 6.05, so let's not dwell too long on Donald Trump. But uh, last night on News Talk Tonight with Jim Richards, political analyst Brian Karam was on to provide some insight because this is a pretty big deal. Uh, the crazy thing, it's kind of like when Rob Ford was mayor of Toronto. It got to the point where we'd gone so far beyond the guardrails that you didn't even notice anymore. I mean, it was craziness. And with Donald Trump, ditto. But no president of the United States, in spite of like, you know, Richard Nixon had to resign, but he got a pardon. Um, there was the teapot scandal back in the 1920s. Um, the guy who su succeeded Lincoln was a complete and utter mess. There have been some pretty questionable figures who have occupied the White House, but no one has ever been indicted before. Here's Brian Karam talking about the fact that actually the, the craziness is all of the stuff that he's being indicted over happened before he was elected president. All of this is um, stems from Donald Trump's actions before he became president. So this is going to be the hush money. This is going to be avoiding. Uh, uh, this is going to be shady business deals. This is all going to be stuff that uh, Donald Trump. Um, it's it's the beginning. Yeah, there's going to be, you know, this is the jab to the face. And then there's going to be a body blow down, you know, with the stuff in Mar-a-Lago. And then after Mar-a-Lago, there's going to be something in Georgia. And then finally, it's going to finish up with the January 6th charges. Donald Trump will spend the rest of his life in court trying to defend himself from these charges. And the actuary tables may get him before he ever sees a day behind bars. But make no mistake of it, Donald Trump is going to spend the rest of his life in court fighting this and the other charges. That I would subscribe to. I don't think Donald Trump's ever going to jail. Because I think that jury after jury after jury will just say, you know, there'll be enough people on the jury who say, but I like Donald Trump. I don't care. And frankly... Uh, you know, a lot of people look at this particular charge and yes, it's about tax evasion and document forgery, but people are going to say, okay, well, you know, guy's going to do what a guy's going to do. And then a guy's going to cover up what a guy's got to do. Um, it does amaze me though, that American evangelicals still think that Donald Trump is amazing and it's because he does what they want him to do. So they can look behind. Obama wore a tan suit and a bicycle helmet, and that was a scandal. But Donald Trump sleeping with a porn star, ah, no big deal. It's just a guy being a guy. So we'll find out what our analysts have to say about that today. Um, meanwhile, more serious matters that actually affect our day-to-day -day lives. The report came in yesterday about the RCMP handling of a serial shooter. And it was a damning report. 
Not surprisingly, I think we all knew that this report was going to slam the RCMP. Um, the RCMP has been somewhat of a scandal for, I don't know, the last 50 years. I mean, I still remember when they were burning down barns in Quebec and trying to pretend it was the separatists. But I guess, you know, that's sort of a counter espionage thing. Uh, but the RCMP has been a mess and commissioner after commissioner has been brought in to try and fix it and they don't get anywhere. Um, former intelligence agent Michael Junot Katsuya was on News Talk tonight, last night, again with Jim Richards, talking about the fact that, amongst other things, this report reveals that communications were a complete and utter disaster. So there was a guy running around killing people, and the RCMP wasn't telling the public about it, and they were having a hard time communicating with each other about it. Police culture in general in Canada, that this is what the basic of this uh, report was about, it has not evolved with its time. Uh, we are in the age of communication. We have cellular phone, we have all sort of social media. People are well connected. And the police has, in the past, had tendency to keep its cards very, very close, not to share information too, too much with the public. And when they share, very, very limited uh, amount of information. And that is this culture that was under attack yeah. uh, because unfortunately as you pointed out in the uh, introduction it cost life uh, because the information was with the police and the police did not release the information and it's a very severe lesson to learn and I don't know if we're ever gonna know where in the line of 22 people who were murdered and remember like he took the night off and went back at it the next morning, where in that list of casualties, we could have had like a fire break or whatever you want to say, because the RCMP failed to alert the public that there was a guy disguised as a police officer in a fake police car. And they also failed to actually alert the public that there was somebody at large who was killing people. So had people hunkered down, locked the door, and kept a low profile, and the RCMP had been better at tracking this guy down and taking him out, would fewer people have died? That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.